This evening I'd like to talk a little more about this theme of a path of wisdom and compassion. It's a theme that we've been exploring in our time together. And uh, one of the phrases I like about these uh, teachings is when uh, this phrase, I offer these thoughts for your reflection. Just what some of my teachers have used this phrase. Uh, and I really like that, just to sort of frame what I'm going to say. So as much as possible, the reflections that I'm going to share are a kind of offering. So to the best of my ability, they're, they're offered as a kind of gift. So it's not supposed to be something that you have to accept completely or that you have to agree with or you have to disagree with or you have to work out. But it's a kind of, it's a kind of gift. Um, and so then we can have that sense of receiving something like that. And whatever's useful, we can use in our lives to nourish us. And whatever isn't so useful, we can just leave to one side. Um, and also the sense for your reflection. So I'm not kind of sitting here saying, I have completely worked out what the path of wisdom and compassion is all about. And I'm going to tell you the final story. Uh, I don't think it's like that at all. Uh, so, you know, I've heard lots of different teachings over the years and practiced myself over the years. And you reflect on these themes, develop your ideas about them. Um, and so I share them in that sense as a contribution to your own ongoing process of reflection. You know, what are your thoughts about how we live wisely, how we live compassionately? Uh, so this is not a kind of final conclusions about that, but something that can stimulate your own thinking too, in your own reflections. I also feel as we come to the end of this day, um, I think Kirsten mentioned something similar yesterday, actually, something of a kind of responsibility, uh, knowing that so many of you um, are here for the first time and exploring meditation for the first time. Uh, and also knowing too, um, you know, from my own experience and what many people have told me, um, what a, um, a challenging path this can be at times. So I have this kind of this wish, this sense of responsibility that your experience is kind of good enough. You have enough of a sense of what this is about to think, yeah, it might have been difficult or my... You know, my body might have ached and my mind might have been busy, but there was something there. There was something there that was worth exploring further. Something there that touched something in me. Uh, so again, I have that, that kind of wish, you know, that sort of aspiration. But again, as, as we've been exploring, you know, if we cling to something, so if I try and cling to that, you know, then that, that's, that's a difficult place, isn't it? Yeah, you know, I'm really invested in you thinking about this in a particular way. So I have to just offer that and let those thoughts go. But that's definitely around a sense of just a. There are these two things that go together. On the one hand, it's real confidence of the freedom that this practice points to, a real confidence in that. You know. And at the same time, an acknowledgement that it can be, can be tough, those two things together. But just as I say that, actually, I remember reading a, a book by one of the American teachers who I think you know, it just describes how her first retreat was just 
well, you know, such a difficult experience, almost a hellish experience, and she just, you know, couldn't wait for the whole thing to be finished. But there was enough in there, there was enough in there to make her think, yeah, I'm going to do it again. Yeah. And then, I don't know, 20, 30, whatever it was years later, she was writing this book, and then I was reading these words and being inspired by them in turn. Good. So I hope it's good enough. I love this phrase in life. It comes from a psychologist, particularly about, about parenting, actually, but I think you can apply it to lots of things. Good enough. You know, life is not perfect. I don't, I don't want you to have the perfect retreat, whatever that is. Uh, but if it's, if it's a good enough experience, that you think, yeah, something here that I can explore. So um, as an offering, as part of that, then just reflecting on this, this idea of wisdom and compassion, and um, these aren't really things that can be separated. And the traditional image of this is that they're like two wings of a bird. You know, wisdom and compassion are two wings of a bird. So we need both in order to fly gracefully through life. And to me, it, it makes no sense to think that you could be really, really wise, but not at all compassionate. I mean, to me, that's, that's like a square with three sides. It just doesn't add up. Yeah. Um, you know, so you can't be really, really wise, but not at all compassionate, or really compassionate, but not at all wise. It just doesn't work. So the two qualities are very interrelated. They're, if you like, two aspects um, of the the way of being to which these practices point. So two things very much go together. But sometimes as we're thinking through them, it's helpful to, to perhaps think about them to some extent separately and then I shall, shall bring them together. So this sense of wisdom, or what does it mean to be wise? What's that about? I mean, in some ways now, this is a slightly old-fashioned word. It's not necessarily um, a word that we hear quite as much as, as some other ideas around for us. You know, what exactly does that mean, wisdom? And so just reflecting on this, and it's worth bearing in mind, this is clearly something quite different from being clever or from being intelligent or from being knowledgeable. So we may aspire to all of those things, but wisdom is actually something quite different. So you can imagine, for instance, a very clever person, a very intelligent person, using that intelligence for all kinds of ends that may not be very wise, may not be very skillful. So if you think about a criminal mastermind or some, someone like that, you know, it can be really, really bright, absolutely sharp. You know, but is it wise? Is it wise? So... For me, how wisdom is different to those qualities is wisdom is essentially something lived. Yeah? Wisdom is essentially something lived. We have to... Um, our insights and understandings, if they're to be truly wise, are expressed in how we live, how we speak, how we think about the world, how we think about other people, um, our priorities, our values that they're naturally expressed in that. that that's what wisdom uh, involves. Um, and so to me, often wisdom is not really about knowing anything particularly difficult to understand, but it's allowing these really basic truths 
that we kind of know already, but allowing them to sink in more and more deeply, allowing ourselves to live from those, those understandings, to live from those understandings more and more. Yeah? Which again, you know, let's put aside ideas of perfection for one moment, and I'll say every, every moment is a completely wise moment. And of course we get lost, and just like we come back to the breath, we come back to our intention to live wisely. Yeah? But it's something that we live So I don't know if you have that sense that, I mean, just to give you an example, if we think of a phrase like, life is precious, and probably everybody knows that. If you said to somebody in the street, is life precious? I mean, you'd struggle probably to find someone who says, no, no, I don't think it's precious at all. <laughs> you know, so we all sort of know that. You don't need a, a PhD to work it out. You don't need complicated theories to back it up. But we also have those moments when we, we know that more and more fully and more and more deeply and when we really sense that then we can we can live in a different way we don't worry about things we don't need to worry about we don't get caught up in things we don't need to trouble ourselves with Um, and I I have quite a strong memory of that actually talking to a friend of mine who just had a, a bereavement and clearly he was very deeply sad very distressed at this time but also with him he had a quality I really tuned into this quite strongly a quality of being more in touch with what was real than perhaps at other times that somehow it had woken him up to what was important to what was valuable so again that sense life is precious he really knew it at that time and again when we've experienced a loss we can sometimes really know that more fully So to me, that's a sense of what wisdom is about, is allowing these truths to sink in more deeply, not just with the head, but knowing them with the heart, with the belly, living from these truths. So one aspect of wisdom that we can notice on a retreat like this, and I think a wise quality of mind, is not to believe so much all of the tricks that our mind play on us. Yeah, not to believe all of the tricks that our mind plays on us. So you can see again so many different thoughts, judgments, opinions can arise during this time. Um, I don't know how it feels to you, whether it feels like you've been here a long time. Yeah. I mean it's kind of just coming up to really 24 hours since this retreat formally began but it probably feels like a lot longer than many other 24 hours than you've had Um, and how many different things have you been through how many different things have you seen created and the basic reality of what you've been doing is that you've been sitting down for a bit and you've been walking up and down for a bit and you've eaten some food and you might have done some hoovering or working and that's kind of what's been happening on a physical level but what else has been happening we can see all of these dramas that unfold in our minds. And this is not something that is created by a meditation retreat. A meditation retreat is something that gives us a chance to see it. The things that we normally might say, well, I'm feeling like this because this has just happened or because that's just happened or 
because this isn't quite right, but we can see that this is all going on, even in quite a, a neutral space. So this again is where wisdom is, is something in many ways quite personal. So we have to know in our own, in our own case, in our own, with our own thoughts, our own patterns of mind, beginning to see through uh, some of the things that can trick us. Um, there's a, an exercise that people sometimes do about this, and we won't do the exercise today, but I'll, I'll just describe it to you. Um, where people are asked to imagine a scenario, and you can see how these patterns of mind start to, to get created around it. So one of these was something like you're, you're going to a party, and you're at the party, and then you see a friend of yours over the other side of the room, and then you kind of wave at your friend, and the friend doesn't really notice. Um, and so you walk over, and as you're walking over to the friend, that friend um, moves away and walks away. And then the question can be, as you, if you do this exercise, you do it more formally, it's like, well, you know, what are your associations around that? What do you think is going on for your friend? What do you, how do you feel? What do you think your friend thinks of you? And all of these kind of things. And I, I remember doing this exercise and people saying, well, you know, we're going to do this kind of thing. And I remember thinking, oh, I've, I've done this kind of thing before. You know, you sort of get this uh, mentality... Um, you know, I've done this kind of thing before, I know what's going to happen here. And then this, this guy just said to me, you're going to a party. And for me, that was enough. I was like, I'm going to a party. Who says I have to go? I don't want to go. I'll have to talk to people. I don't want to talk to people. Can't I do something else? How can I get out of it? And that was be- before the rest of the whole scenario that was supposed to be happening had even unfolded. So even, even that one word, you're going to a party, Isn't it interesting? So this sense that we spoke about briefly yesterday, again, not believing these stories, and sometimes described in this tradition as a bit like a magic show that can be created, this personal world that's created around all kinds of things, and we can be so lost in it, so we can believe in it so much. But we can begin to see this is an assumption, this is a thought, this is a perception, this is not necessarily the full truth of the matter. So, another aspect of wisdom, I think, is uh, the sense of the importance of a well-trained mind. So the Buddha said that um, all the harm that can be done to a person, you know, the, the kind of enemies and difficult people that are around the person, all the harm that they can do to the person uh, is not as great as the harm that an untrained mind can do. And at the same time, all the goodness, all the benefit, all the help that other people can bring to us is not the same benefit as a well-trained mind. And wisdom can begin to recognize this when we see how powerful our minds are, what powerful instruments they are. One famous quotation about this is that the mind can make a hell out of heaven and a heaven out of hell. What can our mind do in any any situation? 
Uh, I remember being one time uh, in this uh, absolutely idyllic situation. Actually, it was in I was staying in India for a bit, and in the uh, quite high up, and you could see the Himalayas, and these huge, great, expansive sky. And I was lucky enough at that time; didn't have any particular responsibilities. I just, you know, day was there, it was mine, and things. But I just, again, I, I really remember this experience quite vividly because, you know, my mind wasn't necessarily um, in the best place at that moment. Then the whole sense of, oh, this is not okay. I don't want to be here. Why am I here? What's going on? And sometimes, when you see that, when the um, what's the word the the difference between the external conditions and what's going on for you, when that's so stark, we can see this so strongly. Just how strong the mind is in conditioning things. So seeing that again is, is a, a real motivation to think, yeah, we can engage in this process of training, training the mind. And the... The other side of that is a, a wonderful teacher called uh, Mathieu Ricard, who's a, a French monk. And he describes once about how he was, um, again, in India, but he was uh, on a train and he'd been doing some work. He, he writes and he'd written loads of stuff on his laptop. Um, and had sort of a month's work on there and he'd gone to all of these efforts to protect this laptop and, and kind of make sure it was properly secured on the, on the train. But unfortunately, he managed to find somebody who was even more smart at him at removing laptops from trains. And, you know, it was busy, crowded, noisy, everything going on, you know, sort of loads of noise around him. Um, and, he, you know, he discovers that he drops off to sleep for a bit and he wakes up, discovers that this laptop's gone with a, you know, a month's work on it. I don't know how you can, can feel about that. I mean, you know, our laptop's probably fairly precious, but other times a month's work could hurt even more. But he, he just describes, it's very striking, just a feeling of, of absolute peace about this. Absolute peace about it. And to me, that's, that's an extraordinary motivation for practice. That, that sense of how we can feel a, a freedom and a stillness that can be there even when things are really difficult, even when things are really tough. Again, this is this motivation for, for this sense of a well-trained mind. Yeah? You can see, on, on the one hand, the way that the mind can create suffering, struggle, and on the other hand, this possibility of freedom, even in the middle of something really tough. So also thinking this uh, sister quality, if you like, of wisdom, this quality of compassion, and these things really, as I said, absolutely interrelated. <coughs> and compassion in many ways can be seen as a quality that can be with what is difficult. It can be with suffering, can be with struggle, but not be overwhelmed by it that can open to and touch what is difficult in life 
without being completely thrown into despair about that. Yeah, but, but just to touch what is difficult to be in, to be able to open to. So to me, um, an image of this is something like an ideal counsellor. Now I'm not, I'm not saying like every counsellor is going to be like this, but as an ideal. There's a sense of, imagine you were having a, a really difficult time, you're having a tough time and you, you went to see a counsellor. If you felt on the one hand this person was just really cold and didn't, wasn't, wasn't willing to listen to your struggle, or your suffering, and was just quite cut off, and you, you know, just kind of not, not taking it on board, you know, that wouldn't be so helpful. But also, too, if you, you began to talk about your troubles and difficulties and the person just said, you know, they started to just cry and control a little bit and said, you know, I can't bear this either. It must be so awful. You know, I'm going to go. And in other words, they, they couldn't hold it for you. Yeah. Then neither of those things would really uh, kind of exemplify this quality of compassion. But com- compassion could be the quality in this, this ideal counsel of the, the capacity to listen, the capacity to hear deeply to be touched by and yet to be steady within to be steady within all of that yeah we have this figure here of uh, Kuan Yin Kuan Yin is uh, translated as one one who hears the cries of the world one who hears the cries of the world And it's so easy, isn't it, when things are, are difficult, the habitual response is just to jump to the next thing. Well, is it, you know, whose fault is it? Something's gone wrong, you know, it must be someone's fault. Who's to blame? And then we kind of look around the world for someone to blame. And sometimes then, you know, we'll perhaps turn it inwards. It must be me, something not right with me, something not okay with, with what's happening for me. And so compassion again is the quality as we can be with what's difficult, as we can feel that, that can actually release us from that sense of needing to blame, needing to, you know, to pin something on somebody. So again, uh, another thing that happened to me when I was uh, in India once and I was travelling around and you get a lot of people who may come up to you and say things like, you know, would you like to use my ritual? Would you like to come to my hotel? My brother's got a really nice hotel. And Would you like to buy this? Would you like to, uh, you know, come and see this thing? So you, you can, as a uh, kind of tourist, so you can get a lot of attention in that way. You know, a lot of people sort of wanting to sell you things. And, and, all that. and I remember after a while, that this could become a little bit wearing for me. So I kind of notice this kind of frustration arising. Well, you know, why do they have to do that? I'd just like to talk to someone and, you know, have a conversation that wasn't about buying and selling and trying to get me to do this. And, and so this kind of frustration was around. There's a sort of sense, you see that sense of wanting to blame, you know, why are they doing it? I'm wanting to blame, I blame people. And then the next thought is, well, hang on, nobody asked me to come here. And I live this completely different life. I live this life of much more material luxury and well-being. And 
have all sorts of things in my life that many people here could could, uh, only dream of, really. Who am I, this arrogant person, to be like that? So you can see how it works. You know, we start with blaming others. And then it switches. Ah, blame myself again. And then, perhaps because I was exploring these practices, it realized me that I could actually relate to this in a different way. So we can begin to relate to this in an impersonal way. So rather than, um, you know, I'm, you know, you are irritating or I'm irritated or something, we can just begin to see there is irritation. We just notice that as a pattern without having to pin it on anybody. This is really liberating. To just see, sometimes we bump into each other in life. Sometimes there's this sense of, and just to feel that. So when we reflect on compassion, one of the things that helps us to do this is the sense that the suffering, the difficulty, the struggle we experience is to be understood. We can turn towards it. We can learn from it. We can investigate how much of that is simply the kind of suffering that's there because we've got a body that feels physical pain that we've got. We're in this world where we don't always get what we want. And how much extra suffering is created by this pushing and pulling with life. So we turn towards suffering. This is to be understood. This is to be met. Again, I think I mentioned it with this sense of, of sadness. I had this experience many times. And anger too and fear. For all of these experiences, all of these emotions that we may at times think, you know, I'd rather not have those ones. But time after time I've noticed that when we really feel something, when we really feel what's underneath what's going on, and sometimes it takes time to get to that sense of what's really happening here when we touch what is real even if it's hard to bear there's a sense of being connected so being connected and I, I really feel in so many ways the the suffering that really hurts, the struggle that really hurts, is this sense of being separate, sense of being cut off, sense of being isolated from others. When we touch something different, which can include the sadness and the loss and the disappointment, but when we touch that in such a way that we're experiencing it on quite a basic human level, it can be a gateway into into this sense of compassion, a sense of connection. Because I begin to see it's not just me. You know, we're in that state of mind, oh, you know, why me? Why did it happen to me? I'm no good. That, then there's a real, can be quite strong separation. But when we feel underneath that, ah, oh, this is a human experience, a sense of loss. Human experience of life not always going my way. And we can see it in others. And it's a doorway into connection. We don't feel so separate, so different.
So this, I wanted to talk about how this um, can lead us into a sense of um, dissolving a very pa- powerful pattern in the human mind, which is to to divide, you know, in the sense of dividing things into them and us, them and us. And it's something that's quite, um, it feels quite easy to do, in a way. It feels like sometimes it's the the easy road to go down. So if things feel, you know, all of the difficult things in life, everything that's hard to bear, there are all kinds of quite convenient stories around about, well, we know it's like that because it's, it's the fault of this lot. Have you had that sense? And there are all kinds of, people can tell this story in different ways and there may be different versions of it. So we can, you know, obviously, um, you know, unfortunately some people might want to, to blame people who are different. This is where we get the you know, kind of whole things about racism or when people are, you know, very kind of negative about uh, immigrants and things. There's a sense of, you know, we can, we can blame these people. It's these people that things are going wrong. These people it's not quite right for. Or we could see this going on in our family. Sometimes this, this kind of thing often happens in families, that there's certain people in the family that are seen as you know, the bad ones. So everything's projected onto them. Or where we work or where we study. Again, it might be some other group. And there's quite a powerful tendency to want to... It makes things quite easy, doesn't it? You know, the sense of, if, if only that lot would clear off, then everything would be all right. There's the sense that everything difficult is projected into to others. And I think this is, can be a very, very deep learning through coming to somewhere like this. Because we begin to see it's all happening here in our own hearts and minds, the tendency to, towards judgment, the quality of compassion sense of being kind, the times when we get very lost. And we can begin to see how all of the division can be created and all of the division can be released. And I think to me this is definitely a key thing about this sense of compassion. Is if we can really touch what is hard to bear, if we can really be with that, then it can release the sense of having to blame, having to split things into them and us. And other people don't feel so different. You know, all the, the people that we, we think, uh, you know, we see all their negative quote, I'd never be like that. You can see, yeah, maybe I could be like that. <laughs> you can see it happening too. Yeah. There's a beautiful quotation on this, which I, I love very much. From a Solzhenitsyn. And he says, If only there were evil people somewhere insidiously committing evil deeds and, we, and it were necessary only to separate them from the rest of us and destroy them. But the line dividing good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being and who is willing to destroy a piece of his own heart? So I think this is something deeply important 
that we do when we come on retreat. It's very helpful that there are people doing this kind of thing. And I don't just mean by this, this precise form, and people explore this in all kinds of ways. But it's what can really release us from just this pattern of revenge, recrimination, blame. I'm suffering so it's your fault, so I'll make you suffer. And you suffer so, and you think, well, it's me. And then you do it back to me. And it goes on, doesn't it? Generation, generation. Divides all kinds of things. So the willingness to, to feel that, to feel what's difficult and use that as a way not to lead to blame and judgment and rejection, but to this sense of connection. So just to finish by, um, again, bringing these two things together. So hopefully they haven't felt too separate in this talk, in this reflection, the sense of wisdom and compassion. Hopefully you see, again, how you can't really divide them, you can't really separate them. But one place, I think, um, where we can feel, we can sense this connection um, between the two is in this dissolving this illusion of being separate, dissolving the illusion of being, there's little me over here and there's you over there and we're all quite separate and divided and there's these borders around us. And we can begin to reflect on, this is where the wise reflection leads to compassion, we can begin to see the, the unreality of that. You know? So when I think, of, I think of myself, well, you know, I'm grown up now, I'm independent. You know, but I mean, it's interesting to to think how how dependent I am, how dependent I remain on things. So the very words that I'm speaking, for instance, um, I mean, English is my first language. I didn't decide to speak English. I grew up and found myself at some stage speaking English. You know, <laughs> and uh, again, if you reflect on these things, that the language that you speak can very much condition how you see and how you think about things. I may have all kinds of personal tastes that I think, yeah, this is me, I'm independent, I like genes. <laughs> you know. But if I'd been born in a different time and place, I wouldn't like genes. <laughs> you know. The music that we like, again, it happens to be stuff that's around for us now. How much we're shaped by things. There's not really, you know, everything I've just said to you, really, I've just heard from other people <laughs> and reflected on and practiced with and, you know, tried to see in my own experience and spoken from. So in what sense is this my talk, you know? So I had you know, heard other teachings and, and where, where, did, where did those teach us? Where did that come from? <laughs> you know? So this sense of separation, and whenever you think about it, there's so many ways you can dissolve it. We're breathing in and out. The air that we breathe, we're sharing. How long is independent me going to survive without the air around me? You know, completely dependent on the sun. Trees around us. And some people call the 
trees are external lungs. Yeah, this is very true if you think about it. That you know, the, this relationship, our being is connected with their well-being. So when we reflect in this way, uh, it begins to dissolve the sense of separation. When we reflect on how all of the things you've seen today in your heart and mind, if I really encourage you to more and more see them as patterns, as opposed to, this is who I am. This is the big switch. Yeah. So when we feel, you know, we feel angry or fed up, it's so easy to think, yeah, that's who I am. I'm a, I'm a really angry guy. It's a pattern. It's a pattern. You know? Or I'm really peaceful. I've got, I found this peace. Yeah, I'm a really peaceful person. I've got it all sorted. But the peace too was a pattern. It's something that comes and goes. So when we stop identifying so much with these things, when we stop trying to build a sense of this is me as a separate entity in a world, you know, competing, juggling, bumping into others. If we begin, that whole sense begins to dissolve. And then it's not an idea, but we feel the connection. We feel the connection. You know, all of us in this room, we all want to be happy. All of us don't want to suffer. All of us have been born. All of us will die. All of us were prone to sickness. We begin to, this is really basic reflections. We begin to just sense, okay. So we you know, might have a bit more of a tendency to do this, a bit less of a tendency to do that, but it's begin to relate on this basic level. And that's how these qualities of wisdom and compassion really work together. As we reflect wisely on dissolving this illusory sense of separation, then the compassion can be there. So just to finish with a, an image of this. This comes from a, an 8th century monk, an Indian monk called Shanti Deva. Which interestingly means something like peaceful God. So that's pretty good, yeah. <laughs> that's a pretty good name. Ashanti Davis says, just as these arms and legs are seen as limbs of a body, why are embodied creatures not seen as limbs of life? So there's this sense that just as, you know, when our foot hurts, our hand instinctively reaches to soothe the foot. So too when we see our connection with others, with all beings, can just be that natural sense to act for the benefit of all. So let's just uh, sit together and just to allow the words to, to settle just for a couple of minutes.
May all beings be free from fear and danger. May all beings be peaceful. May all beings live with ease and with wisdom and compassion. I think it was about um, 45 years ago when, when for the first time actually men left earth and they took a, a, a view back and they saw this. And I think this is a very, very powerful image actually about what Jake just spoke about, that if you actually look at this, what is sometimes called this pale blue dot, you know, hanging in the blackness of space, any notion of being separate, of not being part of, just doesn't make any sense. Just is completely, it doesn't make sense, it doesn't hold up. You know, and a lot, lot of astronauts reported back in very much this vein, you know, really seeing how deeply interconnected we are. You know, that we actually... When we realize this, we also realize that when we hurt ourselves, or when we hurt another, we hurt ourselves, and vice versa. So I would like to take this really as an opportunity to take, speak a little bit more about, where's now my note, it's gone, um, about what we are planning to do later. So there was a request in a small group, very sweet request, can we have maybe a fire? So I thought, actually, this is a really nice idea. So after the last sitting, there will be a bonfire for an hour or so outside, up there in the garden. And really, if you want to come along and just really share a sense of being together in silence outside under the stars, please do come along. And I'm also really, when I was thinking about it, how to give it this a little bit more of... of, of um, a meaning. Um, I had really the sense that somehow, you know, this is a young person's retreat, and there is quite there is quite an age range in this hall. So the age, I can tell you, is between fourteen to twenty-six. And for me, it's somehow the sense that you are the ones who are taking over. And some of you have taken over already. And on one level, okay, I'm not very old, but having really a sense, you know, we are handing over to you. And I think we will hand over our generation a lot of beautiful things and also a lot of difficult things and a lot, a lot of challenges. 
And I thought what might be nice to do, and again, see if this inspires you, if you feel moved to, if you, you know, if there's something you would like to do. I put out some small notes, uh, notepaper outside and some uh, crayons, contemplating maybe in the next walking period anything you would like to bring into this world, having this intention, like really listening to the movement of your heart rather than your mind, how to make it possible, but really connecting with what you would like to bring into this world, which would be for you on a personal level an expression of wisdom and compassion. It could be one word, could be a sign, you know, that has to be meaningful for you. And if you wish, again, just write it down in whatever form is appropriate. And if you want, bring it to the fire and just offer it to the fire. You know, just give it to the fire. And maybe using this as an invitation to connect with something which actually feels precious, feels worthwhile to bring our energy behind. Okay, so outside there is a notepaper, there are some crayons. You can bring also a piece of wood. And we will have the fire, as I said, we will have it for about an hour We'll be in silence and would be great if you would join us. And now it's a beautiful evening. It's time for them walking. So enjoy your walking and we meet back in half an hour for our last sitting. And the last sitting is a little bit shorter than on the schedule. You might be relieved. You might be disappointed. <laughs>